Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our family pastor, J.C. Thompson, will deliver a message titled, The New Self. And you can follow along with this message in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. that wherever you are today, that your experience of God's unending love would grow. I'm, I'm thankful today as people share on this stage as they've lost loved ones that the holidays can be a difficult time. And it's also a time of thankfulness, of praise, of joy, And I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for him. Good morning and welcome to Brookwood Church. My name's JC. I'm the family pastor here. And I am so thankful that you have joined us today. Uh, Today we'll be doing kind of a one-off message. Uh, We just finished up our Life of Jesus series a a year looking at, observing, studying Jesus' life, his behavior, his conversations. And a lot of the comments that we got as people were reflecting on what God had taught them in this series, one of the things that we heard over and over and over again was, I feel like I've grown closer to Jesus, and I'm praying, I'm asking God to continue that. And so what I thought would be good for us before we transition into talking about the birth of Jesus in the Christmas season and and what that event meant and what it means for us today, God... I'm hoping that I'm able to share today what does it look like to be a believer in Jesus? What does it mean to have a new life? And how does that translate in the day-to-day? What does that mean for me as I live my life, as I have conversations? What should my life look like? We've studied the life of Jesus, but how does that translate to little old me? And so my hope today as we read God's word, as we listen to him, that we'll all experience what new life truly is like. And so today, if you would, please open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Uh, We're back in the New Living Translation uh, now that we're out of our series on the life of Jesus. So just wanted to let you know that, that most of our scriptures today will be from that unless we indicate otherwise. Ephesians is sometimes called the Christian's checkbook, the bank of the heavenly resources, because so many things that Paul talks about in this particular book are blessings to us. What is available to us as a part of being a follower of Jesus, because maybe you weren't taught that you do get some blessings, you do get some benefits, you do get some resources at your disposal that you did not have before. And so Ephesians walks us through what that means. And so today as we talk about this, the beginning of the book of Ephesians, chapters one through three, is about what should we believe? What should we know about who God is? What should we know about Jesus Christ and what he gives to us? What should we know about the blessings available to us? Why are those available to us? And then Ephesians four gets down to the earthly part. What does that mean for our lives 
here on earth. And Paul talks about the beginning of chapter 4, what does it mean to be the church. And today we'll be starting in verse 17, but I, I want to make sure today before we move too far, it's a Thanksgiving holiday, and there was a, a football game last night I heard uh, that has probably produced in some of you anxiety and frustration, and others you, of you in this room may be welling up with pride and moving into arrogance a little bit. So we're going to pray and remind ourselves of why we're here today and ultimately why we're here on this earth. Yes, the Memphis Tigers played yesterday. They scored 70 points. 70, that, this is 7-0, is pretty impressive, but I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I, I want to pray and, and ask God for, to, for us to be focused today, as many emotions as we felt this weekend with Thanksgiving and with a, a football game yesterday. I pray that God would focus our efforts on hearing him. Jesus, we love you, and God, as we express to you through praise and worship, how amazing you are. God, I pray that if there are those in this room who came in with arms folded and a scolding look on their face, God, I pray that you would soften them. And God, I pray that no matter what happened in our lives this weekend, if it was filled with joy or if it was filled with sorrow, that we would hear you speak to us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to Remove anything in here that would distract us from hearing the word of God. God, your word is powerful. And we ask that it would change us today. That we'd be reminded of the benefits available to us in Jesus Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4. If you would, take out your outline. We're going to start here. If we embrace the truth, if we experience God's grace, if we give our lives to Jesus, what does that mean? Well, I think it results in three things, and the first one we'll talk about at the beginning of this particular passage, and that's new life. New life. As we embrace the truth, we will experience new life. Starting in verse 17, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasures and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now, Paul begins this particular passage trying to remind the Gentile believers in the town of Ephesus that they don't have to live their old way of life. And then he describes what that way of life was. Now, many of you, I hope, have interactions with people who do not know Jesus, and I hope that some of you in this room have relationships with people that want nothing to do with Jesus, in their eyes and in their minds and in their hearts, they believe that they truly have knowledge that we don't have, that somehow we're blinded by our loyalty to religious practice, 
that somehow we gather in a room on Sunday just to stroke our egos. But Paul says here that they are blinded, they are futile in their ways of practicing darkness. They just gather for themselves what will make them feel better. And ultimately, one day, they will face judgment. And all of their works, all of their enlightened thinking, all of their lustful practices will be presented before the Lord and they will come face to face with God and explain their way of life to him. Paul says that's a reality, and if that's what you practice, it's futile. In other words, there's no profit. It will all go away, and you'll be isolated from God forever. Paul reminds them of this because they might be tempted to practice some of these things. They might be tempted to perform some of their old way of life. Why? Because They have the flesh in them. They have these desires, and Paul is reminding them that way of life leads to nothing. So what life do we live? He goes on to say in verse 20, but that is not what you learned about Christ. That is not what you learned. See, for me, In this passage, I think it's so important that we understand this. Paul is giving us his testimony of what life looks like, and he's letting us know as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people, that now we have access to God. We now have the freedom to become part of God's people. God had chosen a group of people, and now we get to be part of that group, a group that God has decided to love, show favor upon, to protect, to give an inheritance to. And before, we had no access to that, but now we do because of the grace of Jesus Christ. For me, this is so important for us. Paul then, in verses 22 through 24, gives an illustration. He's giving an illustration of clothing, and before he does that, in verse 21, he's letting us know that these verses that are to follow are for Christians. They're for people who have embraced Jesus Christ, who have humbled themselves, knowing that one day they will face judgment. And just as the songs that we sang earlier, God's arms are open wide and we do all that we can to just fall into them. There's nothing that we can do to gain merit or favor in the eyes of God other than accepting what Jesus Christ did for us through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And because of that, that produces new life. And Paul's about to lay out what does it look like. But he wants to make sure that we understand none of these things apply to people who don't follow Jesus. But this is for us. God is made new. I want you to understand this because it's so important. Because I know that some of you in this room, you're here. Maybe somebody, you're in town for the holidays and like they told you we go to church on a Sunday morning and you're like, football's on Sunday? Why would you do, why would you wake up early? This is the weekend. And maybe you're just here because someone made you come. Maybe someone said they're riding to church this morning and would you like a ride? And you thought, well, I'm already up. I got nothing else to do. I don't know why you're here this morning. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that these verses don't apply to you yet. 
But as you hear about the message of Jesus today, my hope would be that you would begin to ask yourself, is this me? Who who am I in light of Scripture? If you have not experienced forgiveness for your sin, if you have not embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have not given yourself, committed your life to him, and seen tangible differences made, these verses are not for you. This is for the family of God. But if you have, if you've heard Jesus, if you've responded to him in faith, if you've seen things change, it's for you. And so he gives an illustration of what that means to you in verses 22. Throw off your old sinful nature. And in verse 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God. Paul here is giving an illustration. That illustration is one of taking off clothes. Now, I know that sounds weird, okay, but he's, he's helping you understand something. The, what you wear defines you. I, in fact, I would imagine a lot of you in this room probably have a uniform that you have to wear to work. People identify you by your uniform, what you wear. So what Paul is saying here is our clothes, these things that we have, the, the old life, the old nature with its practices, we have to throw them off, violently throw them off. We're not just meticulously taking them off to, as to not damage them. No, we want nothing to do with that old way of life. And we get rid of it. Now, if you read Paul throughout the New Testament, as he wrote most of the New Testament, you'll read all the time. This is a guy who was, was stoned. This is a guy who was shipwrecked. This is a guy who was bitten by snakes. I mean, people were trying to kill him all the time. He always remembers who he was before Jesus. He remembers that. He remembers his old way of life. And in fact, I even think here, and this is JC's opinion, but I think here he's pointing to something that happened in his old way of life. In Acts chapter seven, Paul's watching something happen. And if you know what happens in Acts chapter seven, there's a, a man named Stephen who presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to religious leaders. And they responded by murdering him. They threw him into a pit, they took him outside, and they threw rocks at him until he died. And we have this picture of Stephen looking up to heaven and we see Jesus standing at the side of the Father, standing, watching, witnessing what's going on in Stephen's life. And Stephen is filled with peace and gives his life to the Father. But we see this one small piece of this story that could seem very insignificant if you don't know who Paul is. And it's in this particular verse, verse 58. It says, and they dragged him, Stephen, they dragged Stephen out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now Saul is the man who was later transformed to be Paul. I want you to understand this picture that Paul's presenting. Men who were desiring to live their life in such a way as to kill someone were taking off their coats so that they could more freely throw rocks at this man. In other words, these clothes were hindering the way that they were trying to live their life. And so they needed to take them off so that they could more freely chunk rocks at a man to kill him. And I think that Paul is giving us an illustration that he remembers what his life was about. 
And just as those men took their coats off because they needed to get every obstacle out of the way so that they could accomplish their end goal, Paul is saying that is what we should do with our former way of life. Anything that stops us, anything that hinders us, anything that gets in our way, we should throw it off so that we can more freely live to what the end of our life may be. That's a life that honors and glorifies God. But not only do we throw off our old way of life, we also put on our new way of life. I love this because I'm not great at picking out clothing, okay? Most, I hope there are some men in here that would agree with me that that part of my life I wish would just, you know, I would desire to just wear one shirt in several different colors the rest of my life. That would be totally okay with me. Picking out clothes is not fun, especially when I'm responsible for that. If I'm responsible for that, I can get into a lot of trouble. So did my wife pick out my clothes and lay them out for me this morning so I wouldn't embarrass myself on this stage? Yes, she did. I have no shame in admitting that. No shame at all. But I will just tell you, what I love about this picture that Paul gave us is we don't just do the things that we think are right. We don't just put on our new nature in the way that we think our new nature should look. God made our nature new. He created this new life and gave it to us. And that word new doesn't just mean new as in there was something old and you were replaced with something new. Like some of you, when, when you get rid of a car, you get rid of something that you own, you just get a new one. It's not necessarily better, but it is new, right? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you have to replace something because you just need it. It doesn't mean that it's better. No, Paul is saying this isn't just new, it's also new and improved, It is new and improved because not only was it created by God, it was created to be like God. Scripture tells us that we are partakers in the divine nature, which means that we have God's spirit indwelling us. Indwelling us. That means everywhere we go as followers of Jesus, God's spirit is there. We don't have to search for him. He is there with us. How does that happen? How do we know how to throw off the old self? How do we know to put on the new self? How does that do that? In verse 23, that little verse in between those two tells us the way that we do that is through the renewing of our mind. The renewing of our mind. Man, we've been talking about this verse so often in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're to be transformed in the renewing of our mind. Don't be conformed to this world and its practices, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. In other words, there's a system of thought, there is a, a prevailing system that is teaching you how to live your life. And there's also God who's teaching you how to live your life. How do we transfer from this system of how to live your life, which is according to the flesh, according to the systems of the world, how do we do that? We do that through the renewing of our mind. Your church attendance today is one way that you do that. Being here, hearing God's word, listening to the praise of his people is one way that your mind is renewed. You spending time in God's word, understanding the language of God, hearing the truths represented there, renews your mind and its practices. 
If our minds aren't renewed, we will live in the system of thought that prevails. We'll talk about that a little bit later. We must constantly ask the Spirit to change our thoughts, attitudes, and actions because this is a continual process, continual process. And as that happens, we will begin not just to feel intimate with Jesus, not just to be intimate with Jesus, but we also begin to look like Jesus. This is the new life. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we throw off what hinders us from following Jesus and we put on the life that God created for us. And we do that through our minds being renewed. So I'm gonna ask you a question, a question that if you've been at Brookwood for the last year, two, three years, you've heard. Has your life been transformed? You cannot afford to miss this. Have you thrown off your old way of life? Have you put on the new life that God created? Are you being renewed by the Spirit? Can you and others see growth occurring in your life? If not, today, repent. Place your trust in Jesus. Give up. Stop running the race. It's futile. It amounts to nothing. Give yourself to a God who loves you and offers you not only a new way of living today, but offers you an inheritance that will last forever. Today, do not miss that opportunity. Paul, as he explains what the new life is, then goes on to say, here's what the new life should result in. So not only should we experience new life, but we should also experience new relationships. Look at me with verse 25. So, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. Body. So Paul here begins a section that he's going to talk about the results of the transformed life. What should the new life look like? Perry's been talking ad nauseum about the new life and that it should look different and we should be born again and it should be an experience that we can point to. And Paul here is saying, here's the label for what that looks like. Here's what the packaging looks like. And so as we begin to observe these particular things, I hope that you'll be honest with yourself. Where are you today? Where are you today? Every one of the things in the rest of this passage is a command. And I, I do speak about commands in the New Testament with much trepidation because here's what happens. Here's what I fear happens in the lives of those who are in the church. Sometimes you can go to legalism and you can say, because it's commanded for us to stop telling lies, that's legalism, which is crazy to think about that somehow stop telling lies is legalism and somehow we're earning our salvation because we're telling the truth. But I think that's a thought that we can go to. So how do we not get there? How do we not go to legalism? Legalism is about earning. It's about earning. What do we earn? We think that we can earn God's favor. We think we can earn God's blessing and ultimately we think we can earn God's eternal security through our works. No, we get those things. We receive those things through Jesus. 
We don't have to work to earn them. So legalism is earning. And yet, as much as Paul is very aware that the works of the law can be burdensome and can be what we would call the gospel of legalism, Paul still gives us commands throughout the New Testament. Today, the prevailing thought among young people is this, that God loves us, so it doesn't matter what we do. The complete opposite of legalism. I can do whatever I want to. I, I just ask for forgiveness. God loves us. He's full of grace. He's full of love towards sinners. Like, I just can do whatever I want to. But Paul gives us commands. And so I want you to understand that as a follower of Jesus, we should be seeking to obey God in the Lord for this is right. We should be seeking to honor him as Lord and Savior through our lives. And so these commands, I, I want to be careful today that we don't move to legalism, that somehow by doing these things we earn God's salvation, but also I don't want us to move the opposite direction and believe that we shouldn't do anything because it might be legalism. And God loves us and wants us to live in freedom, and he does. And here's the path to walk that freedom. Here's the path for intimacy and conformity to Christ. And so he starts with talking about our relationships. What would happen if everyone told the truth? I mean, in every situation and circumstance. Some people in this room might think that it would be a great, wonderful place to live in. I would just tell you, our world would go into chaos. People wouldn't know what to do. I mean, think about it. Politicians would be out of jobs. Corporations that are for our benefit would suddenly have to tell us why they're really making the money that they're making, what they're putting in certain products, why they're pitching them to us in these particular ways. I mean, it would result in conflict everywhere. And yet, Paul tells us to stop telling lies. Live a life filled with truth. Several times in this particular passage, he points to that and what it means to live in connection with others. So I, I just want to give you two things about this one little verse. Number one, what is truth that we're supposed to share? What's the truth that we're supposed to share? Well, that comes back to the gospel, right? It comes back to Jesus. We're trying to help people follow Jesus. And so if what they're doing is stopping them from fully following Jesus, that's a truth that we should share, now, there's also this thing called opinions, and opinions aren't truth. So if I'm, if I'm trying to make a decision on should I share this or not, my hope would be that a, a significant question you would ask would be, am I helping someone follow, understand, know Jesus more clearly? Am I helping them understand the gospel? Am I reminding them of what's available to them in the kingdom of God, or am I sharing my opinion? Isn't it interesting how much more freely we share our opinions than truth? Isn't that interesting? I mean, think about it. This week, let's just talk about your opinions this week. How many of you talked about your opinion of your football team this week? How many of you probably got into an argument because you thought your opinion was right about your football team? How many of you were willing to harm a relationship with someone because of that opinion? And it's not just football teams. Why we did Thanksgiving in this particular way? 
Whose house we went to? What food did we eat? Why did we choose this pie instead of this pie? Opinions. And we will ravage relationships for our opinions. But when it comes to telling truth, we go, oh, well, you know, I really don't have that great a relationship with that person. To Maybe you should share that truth. I don't know that person well enough. So I want to present to you the second part of this, which I think is crucial that Paul pointed out, which is, why do we share truth with our neighbors? Because we are members of the same body. If you're a follower of Jesus and if you profess to follow him, guess what? You get a new family, a brand new family. Now, for some of you in this room, that's great news because you don't have a family and you're like, I would love a family. I would love a family to share with me, to tell me where I'm wrong, to help me grow. And some of you are going, family's hard. I have been in a family that has shared truth and I've been in a family that shared opinion and that gets messy and hard and difficult. But I want to remove something today, my hope would be from your vocabulary, that if you see someone specifically, and I, I'm making this very strong, specifically in the area of sin or misrepresenting Jesus Christ and the gospel that he offers to us, if you see someone in that and you are thinking to yourself, well, I don't really have a relationship with them. No, you are family with that person if they profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Your family, there is no closer relationship than family. JC, you're saying for me to have difficult conversations about the gospel and about behavior with people, yes. And you're saying that what if I don't, what if I'm not in their small group? What if I'm not, like what if I don't really talk with them? No, no, no. your family, does the family of God matter? Yes. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Our aim should be to help one another grow and change. Earlier in this chapter, Paul says to speak the truth in love. And this is another one of those verses that we just, we sometimes go, well, I, you know, I can't speak that truth lovingly. I wanna help you understand that particular passage in verse 15. The truth is the truth. It is Jesus. It is the gospel. It is always loving. The truth is always loving. The truth is always loving. Well, why does it say in love? Because how we present that truth may not always be loving. We've all presented truth and opinion to hurt somebody else. We've all presented truth and opinion to make ourselves feel better. We've presented truth and opinion to compare and place ourselves in a different group of people. None of those are loving attitudes or motivations. But if we truly do want to help, if we truly do want to love, if we truly do want to help someone pursue Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about the truth being loving. We can just present it, and we must present it with a heart and an attitude of loving kindness for someone else, knowing that they may be misunderstanding who Jesus is and ultimately hurting or harming their lives and the lives of those around them by not following him. That's a new type of relationship. That's difficult. That's hard. That's long-term. Yes, it's all those things. And yet, if you look throughout Scripture, if you just read Ephesians, you have plenty of examples of Paul saying, hey, this is wrong, hey, this is wrong, hey, you're doing this and this is wrong. Sometimes he even names people's names in a letter. 
You thought social media was bad. I mean, literally, you would read this in front of the church and people's names would be in it. But we point out truth. How people respond to that truth is for them. We must be responsible for loving people and presenting truth to them to help them grow. But if we cannot present it as that, if we wield the truth as a weapon to harm or bludgeon, that's not love. So here's some questions you can ask if you find yourself in this situation of seeing something that is an untruth. You can ask this question. Am I a believer? Am I a believer of Jesus? That's the first question you ask. The second question you ask is this. Is that person a believer of Jesus Christ? Then you figured out all the relational questions you need to ask. That's as simple as it is. Do they profess to be a follower of Jesus? Then they should want to line up with what Jesus says, who he is, what to believe. God, I pray that we would move away from discomfort to help people grow in their connection and relationship with Jesus. God, remove from us the need to be okay in everybody's eyes, but to be okay in his. Do you truly desire to help those around you? Then we have a responsibility as the family of God to share truth with others. We're supposed to be building others up, equipping them for every good work so that they can help the kingdom of God grow. Are you helping people or are you tearing them down? Are you building people up or tearing them down? We're in Christ, we're the body. We're meant to build and encourage one another. We'd be like a member of your body, seeking to harm the other member of your body. Seems ridiculous, because it is. We're together. We should be for one another, helping one another grow in Christ-likeness. When we embrace the truth, we'll experience new life, we'll experience new relationships, and ultimately we will experience new actions. New actions. I want to go through these quickly, but I also want to make sure that you, you hear some of the things that Paul's saying here. First one, verse 26, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. I, I want to use the ESV translation because it says something very troubling. If you were to just read through your Bible, you would read this and go, this is weird. It says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Well, that seems weird. Why would Paul tell us to be angry? Paul is saying that there is an anger that is right. If the name of the Lord God is defamed, I think Paul is saying it's okay to be angry about that. I think if someone is an enemy of Jesus and is proclaiming that, I think that that should cause us some anger and frustration. We see in Scripture that the anger of the Lord is a prevalent theme. And his anger is against sin. His anger is against the enemy. And his anger is against those who practice those things. And yet God's full of loving grace. So why would Paul tell us to be angry? Because there is an anger that is right. Now, I, I will tell you in my very young, young, young days, I know some of you are going like, you, you're still in those days, JC. And yes, I'd agree with you, I, I am. But when I was much younger, I would have said, I was righteously angry about everything. Everything. 
I knew everything about everything, right? The older I get, I'm going, that's not righteous anger. Even if it's sometimes about the things of God, there's some reason why I'm angry about those things. And it has something to do with what's in me. Maybe it's more about my name than Jesus' name being defaced. I hope that if you're a person that claims righteous anger about everything, you'll really look at your righteous ways and be humbled by them. And Paul goes on to say, be angry, but do not sin. In other words, even if you're righteously angry, even if someone defaces and denames the name of God, you are not to sin. Anger should not control you. He says, don't let the sun go down because sometimes we will say that we're over something, but we're not really over it. And yes, it's a lot of the things that we get hurt by others that we don't get over. But sometimes it's also things that happen to us that they're just, they're harmful. They, they weren't things that we were angry about. They filled us with sorrow. But Paul's saying we need to get those conflicts to come to an end. We must work them out to an end. If you're angry with someone, you need to work it out. It can't, it will bubble over and you will lose control. And if you're angry and it has gained control, Paul says that the devil has an opportunity for a foothold. In other words, he's got a place in you that he can stick his heels in the ground and stay there. No matter how much you push, no matter how much you struggle, no matter how much you fight, he's got a position of leverage. So if you're angry today and you can't seem to get past it, you need to do some work and figure out where it's coming from and then you need to deal with it. It's not good enough to just know why you're angry. You need to ask God to change that in you. And it seems all over the Psalms, we're angry with our enemies, we're angry with the circumstances we find ourselves in, and yet you see most of the time at the end of those Psalms, resolution. Oh, but God, you're our shield, you protect us. Oh God, you are who we should fear, not our enemies. All the time the Psalms are resolving themselves in the person who writes them. Justice is from the Lord, not from us. We must trust that he sees everything, he knows everything, he knows every circumstance, conversation, thought, assumption from every person in the world. So we must trust that he will defend his people. He will protect us, he will keep us connected to him. Verse 28, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Paul, throughout this, is saying, don't do this, which we hear a lot, especially if you grew up in church. You heard that a lot as a kid. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But the Bible usually gives don't do this and then gives you, here's why you should do this. And Paul here is saying, we don't steal because we can give. When you want to be known as a person who's generous, yeah, I don't think anybody in here would want to be known as a curmudgeon, right? We, we want to be generous. We want to be people who give and, and love and share what they have. We teach our children to do those things. And yet we steal. Why? Because we need something. We deserve something. We have something. And maybe some of you won't walk into a store and steal something. But maybe you steal from your workplace, Maybe it's not something as you know, simple, practical as office supplies. Maybe it's hours. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's something on your taxes you're not being honest with. Paul says quit stealing. 
so that you can work hard and give and experience the joy of giving generously to others. Why don't we steal? Why don't we live within our means? We want to appreciate our work. We want to give to those in need. Are you giving to those in need? Are you so stretched thin that you can't give? That's not the way that we're supposed to live. We're not living for this world. We're living for eternity. You gotta live within your means. It, it produces peace and contentment in you, satisfaction to live within your means. Are you giving to those in need? Are you giving to Brookwood? We do tons of incredible ministry here. Are you giving to that? I love the story as Jesus asked these people in his first miracle to go fill up these water jars, huge water jars, and he changes the water to wine, and people experience the blessings of the servants filling up the water jars, but they don't know where it came from. Who knew where it came from? Who knew what occurred? Who knew what happened? The servants did. When we give, we don't just get to experience the blessings of the church of Brookwood, we also get to understand how it was made happening, how, how it happened through his people, how it happened through our gifts. And not just gifts of money, but yes, gifts of money, gifts of time, gifts of service. The gifts that God gave us are for his kingdom. Are we using those gifts? I hope today you'll begin to assess your finances and figure out, is my identity too tied up in this money situation? Verse 29 don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Put away all coarse joking, another translation says. Put away all corrupt and abusive language. How many of our words do we just loosely throw out there? If we were to weigh out the hurtful things versus the encouraging things that we say, where would we line up? Do we use our words to help and to heal or to destroy and break down? Be an encouragement with your words. And then Paul talks about don't bring sorrow to God's spirit by the way that you live. Our sin, our talk, is not just against other people. It's also against God's spirit. If we are representatives of Jesus Christ, our words represent Jesus Christ, all of them. If we're a representative of Jesus Christ, our actions represent Jesus Christ, all of them. And God's spirit, who's a person, is grieved by those actions. Now, God's spirit can move. God's spirit can overwhelm. God's spirit can do what only God can do. But as a representative of Jesus Christ, Paul's saying here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by your actions. We say that we want to live a life of joy, contentment, satisfaction, peace, but yet our actions and our words may say otherwise. And while it may not stop the work of the Spirit, we may stop seeing fruit of the Spirit. 
because our actions grieve him and they may block the work of the Spirit in our life. Are my words building up? Am I anxious and angry about my life? Or is my life overflowing with joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? And then Paul ends this particular section by saying this in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Paul is trying to move us from vice to virtue, from evil practices to practices of God, because we are Jesus' representatives. And my hope is, is that as all of us leave this room, as we extend our reach into the community, into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, that we represent him. And I want you to remember, we took the Lord's Supper last week. Remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Remember, if you're hearing this and burdened by this and are a follower of Jesus, God's arms are open to you. But living that way over and over and over robs you of the blessing of life in the kingdom of God. It robs you of that. Grace is available to you. And if some of you, as, as hearing these behaviors is, is not God-honoring, my hope would be if you've never embraced Jesus Christ that you'd be face-to-face with you in reality and truth. And you'd give up and give in to God. Are you living for yourself? Do you find yourself to, today convinced of your sin? You will face judgment with God one day. But Christ has made a way for you. And he offers it to you freely, no strings attached. But it will change every single part of you. It will give you a new life created by God to be like him. It will create in you new relationships. And it will create in you new actions. Will you walk in his ways and experience the blessings of the life with God? Counselors will be at the front. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Thanksgiving. Thank you for this new holiday season as we reflect and remember. And God, today is, I know all this week as I've been studying through these verses, coming to terms with myself, God, I am so thankful for your grace and forgiveness in my life. And God, I pray that we would not be burdened, but God, we would humble ourselves before you and present ourselves as we truly are in your eyes. And we would cry out to help. God, help us. Help us as we're your representatives. Help us as we have the spirit of God inside of us to live a life that's a pleasing aroma to you. Live a life that honors you. And God, that people will begin to see differences, changes being made. And they'll begin to ask. They'll begin to wonder. God, allow us to share the story of the goodness of our God and the satisfaction and payment made by Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus, we love you. And I pray today that we would fall at your feet in praise of what you've done through us. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.
Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.